Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with my good pal, Joe Hilliard. We have a fun third guest here who I've seen do comedy before, but mm-hmm. I've never actually had like a conversation and certainly not recorded one on mic with him before, but I'm excited to do that. It's Riley Pena. Yeah, hello. How's welcome, welcome. Thank you Comedian, for find him on Instagram, Venom Spitter 666. <laughs> Ooh, scary. The mark of the beast yeah. serves us well as we get into some of the content that we Th- That is not, I, I gotta say, I didn't know that was your Instagram handle and based on the set I, or, or the, or the stuff i saw you do with the open mic that i saw i would not have wow. predicted right. that not a lot of handle. satanic content in your comedy Riley. did, did yeah. that like segue out of the set at a certain point you started there and- no i'm warming up to it think, uh, <laughs> i'm getting ready to- you're ramping up you're li- you're gonna live up to this handle soon riley thank you for being here thank you for having me ironically this is a perfect two movies for me you know oh wow i'm glad to hear that i mean i knew you were a movie guy because i think w- when we went to see the holdovers i think you would come out to see that with uh joe and some other folks yeah and that one was great too i uh i aspire to be a movie guy oh. um i love good movies it's just i haven't seen all of them mm-hmm. there's a movie i'm sure you can name a popular one anyone that sure. i haven't seen yeah. and, and vice versa that happens to us all the time oh yeah. we have we have tons of blind spots tons. it's always fun to fill those in that's part of the fun of the podcast that's actually. the truth that's yeah. the truth we're gonna fill some in at least as far as the second film today the first film is brand new uh but why don't we get some beer in our glass yeah we are going to continue. Actually, we're going to push pause after this one of some beers that I picked up at the recently closed Forever Ingenious Brewery out of Humble, Texas. If you go back to the last couple episodes, you can hear more about the beers that we've done since they closed down. But this, David, this is an exciting one. This is their Splat IPA. I got a crowler of it at their brewery right before they closed. Uh, you might have heard of Double Splat. You might have heard of Triple Splat. <laughs> These are variations of this original OG IPA that they put out. New England style with Citra, Mosaic, and El Dorado hops. This is a 6.5 ABV. Love it. Love it. And yes, I'll say it again. I've said it. Thank you so much for getting up there and getting those beers. I'm excited that there's still a couple, but I totally agree with the strategy here. Let's hold off. Let's yeah. let's draw it out a little bit for ourselves, for our own sake. Good call. Um, good oh call. Oh, my God. I just saw Riley's pour, and I'm already like, look at that. Well, the so IPAs, juicy. I think we should get out of the way because, as uh, everyone that probably is listening knows, the IPAs are going to go bad first. So let's get them while they're as fresh as they can be. And they're my favorite. So. IPAs when you go <laughs> to IPAs a... are my top. They're my only... Very tropical nose on this, right? I'm getting oh. pineapple, guava. Mm-hmm. Mango. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It really... It smells like a smoothie in, in the glass. And again, this is all hops, folks. This isn't... Uh, there's no additions. No the, fruit additions no. here. Oh, ingenious. Am I mm-hmm. allowed to drink? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, there are... Right. The rules are... We're not going to discuss it till the end. And when we discuss it at the end, David... Let's not try to ingenious fanboy gush like we have been doing. Let's well, get. It, let's be real honest with this one. <laughs> if it's not as good as okay, those ingeniouses as that we've done, we've got to be honest. I promise I'll be honest. Oh, God, it smells so good. <laughs> Tastes great, too. Well, we're going to do two films this week that take on biblical frameworks um, that, that really kind of tell stories uh, that are interwoven with, uh, especially New Testament. We're, we're talking about the story of Jesus primarily, um, intersecting with, with various other characters that may or may not have existed in the Bible or, or in historical fact. The first film this week is the new release from James Samuel, uh, who also goes by 
the moniker The Bullets has produced music for many years, uh, an associate of Jay-Z's and, and many others in the, the hip-hop realm. The brother of Seal. That's right. Mm-hmm. So The Harder They Fall, his uh, prior feature film, first feature film, I think, but prior one that we saw on Netflix just a little while back on episode 172, we were all kind of unanimous that this was a really interesting update, revisionist Western kind of uh, story with uh, largely an all-black cast, and it w- and it was fantastic. We really loved that one. So when I saw the trailer for the book of Clarence in the theater this fall, I was pretty excited for a few reasons. James Samuel, interesting filmmaker. I want to see what this guy does. Mm-hmm. Two, Lakeith Stanfield, one of my favorite actors nowadays. Those who are fans of Atlanta, those who are fans of Sorry to Bother You, I think it's one of the most brilliant films of the last decade, easily. And also, I think, um, to a certain extent, knowing it was kind of a, a satire, a, you know, built on the Bible, having that kind of connection with, I mean, I'm just going to come out here and say it. We're, we're doing Life of Brian in the second half. Yeah. And I think it's the only film that I could really think of. I mean, there are other, there's a case to be made. We could have gone with a straight biblical epic like The Ten Commandments, like, uh, yeah, which is what these films are kind of playing around with and, and, and being, uh, you know, cheeky about. But I think, you know, this film does something very similar where Clarence, the Lakeith Stanfield character, is uh, this imagined brother to Thomas the Apostle, who is sort of a hustler himself, um, sells sells weed, basically, uh, around town in Judea, is sort of getting in bad with some of the local, uh, you know, criminal underworld. And to, to get himself out of that, he launches a series of plans, first starting with wanting to become an apostle himself so that he can maybe be sort of purified. The 13th apostle. Yes. <laughs> it's apostle. Or uh, when that doesn't quite pan out, uh, maybe becoming a messiah himself, or at least pitching himself that way. And then eventually, you know, kind of going through some growth and changes uh, as he works his way into being a uh, you know, essentially martyred, right? Uh, the, I mean, he, or, or he is crucified by, uh, by the end of this film. So, you know, laying it out there, you have a lot of actual biblical figures, like obviously Jesus plays a big part in this, although it's interesting what they do with Jesus here. Played, I can't remember the, the actor's name, but it's a, a black Jesus, as most of these characters are played by African-American. Uh, Nicholas Pinnock. Yes. But Benedict Cumberbatch, in an almost unrecognizable part initially, is a street beggar who eventually becomes cle- gets cleaned up and becomes the one who's sort of misrecognized visually as Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, like, kind of this little joke that, like, oh, you know, Jesus existed. He was a dark-skinned man. We've all kind of misinterpreted it as this other guy who cleaned up nicely and everybody thought looked pretty. You know what I mean? Great little layered jokes, the interesting transpositions. Um, you know, and again, like I say, a, a premise very much like Life of Brian, but I think bringing in the element of the sort of racial dimensions of biblical times, this is something that, you know, I think people, when I was a kid, we didn't talk about, but I know in the last 20 years, I've heard a lot of people make the look. These stories we tell, these are about people who are, you know, originate from the Middle East, Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. They would not look like this sparkling white, you know, uh, the white Christ, Jesus of Jesus, America. Right, right, exactly. This film kind of taking that and really kind of pushing it, but also doing the things that, I don't know, what did you guys think about the mix of tone here? Because it's obviously, it is set in biblical times. They do a lot of, there's some nice production design here. I think they do a nice job kind of creating the backdrop. Shot in Italy. But there's, wow. a, yeah, it looked beautiful. It mm-hmm. looked beautiful, the, the surroundings. But 
it was a very contemporary tone. The weed dealing, the stop and uh, frisk or not, you know, the way that they were sort of like doing the, the checkpoint stops. Yeah. With the, the Roman centurions. The, the soundtrack, the idea that there's a dance sequence. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which was Nights Over the Egypt is one of the best disco songs of all time. So mm-hmm. that I was I was very excited to hear that one drop in there. And he does the soundtrack. James Samuel. Yeah. Well, and it was wild. Like, I did not watch the trailer at all. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of wanted to go. You in. knew nothing going in. Yeah, I knew nothing I going either. in. So did you even, when Joe asked you, did did you even know it was like a biblical? Not at all. Or, oh, wow. Not at all. Huh. And I barely even knew Life of Brian was biblical, too. Okay. And the only Monty Python I've seen was um, someone before it. Holy Grail? Holy Grail. Yeah. I've seen Holy Grail, but... Yeah, so going into um, Clarence, it was wild because it started off very serious. It started off kind of dry. Yeah. And they started smoking weed. And I was like, <laughs> what's going on? And then everybody was black. And I was like, okay, I think I get it. Because at first I was like, man, is this like a Passion of the Christ, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. a small budget movie or something? And then it started getting better and better and better. And I was like, oh, it is like Passion of the Christ, but cool. You know? <laughs> totally, I think, is like the only conversation to have because the movie has two minimally distinct tones. Yeah. And one of them is humor. A la, I'm going to say, Life of Brian. I mean, a lot of skits and sketches almost that start, begin, and finish, and then we move on to the next one. And I liked all those kind of moments of fun and whimsy. <laughs> whimsy. There is a hookah lounge. Or I, uh, I think they're doing well, opium. They're opium, right? right okay. That's opium, I think wow. so. Yeah. So, you know, and this guy's balling in the hookah lounge, and when they, they smoke it, they begin to float, float like yeah. up off of the. Like as they walk in, there's already people floating, and as they enter in and inhale, they're going to, yeah. I thought that was lovely. The dance scene that I talked about, which is, I mean, clearly, let's throw something contemporary into an old story. I can't imagine that that's how a dance would go down at the time. And then every (laughs) part of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in the movie, you know, is this same kind of whimsy wink at the camera. Look what we're doing here. But... Well, did you recognize him at first? I said he was unrecognizable. I did. I didn't. I did the first I saw the beggar... Twice, three times. I think it was the third time it finally dawned on me. I whispered to who I was with, is that Benedict Cumberbatch? I totally forgot. And then by the time he was getting clean, I was like, there's no way this is Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) But uh, but the the conflicting tone, or I should say, not conflicting, but a tone that's trying to happen almost parallel, even though, okay, so the book, uh, rather, the movie is presented as three books, and you see a large title card, book one, Remind me what they are. Number three is the crucifixion. Yeah. And number two is the Messiah. Yes. Number one, the 13th apostle. Yes. Apostle. When it gets into the later parts of the film and begins to take on a real reverence, I think, for Jesus, because Jesus is not presented as a fraud, even though Clarence believes he is, goes to the Virgin Mary and Joseph, Jesus's parents, to say, can you just tell me how he does the tricks? I'm trying to figure out, like, I want to do this and make the money that Jesus is making. That, to me, a very interesting theme that really wasn't concluded well, because he starts to make money, bags yeah. of money. Yeah. And he's giving money away. He's becoming a Robin Hood, maybe, of sorts. And then that... <laughs> He has some kind of crisis of consciousness for being for well, accepting the starts, movie, he, but I don't understand why he does. He's a hustler from the very beginning. I don't understand well, the tonal to shift. Find, he starts to find the reward in the in the like more altruistic actions, the the like freeing the slaves, the okay. the you know like helping others out. Like he and he always had it in his heart. I don't know. I thought that it, I think he I didn't felt, want to feel felt, like he was conning people. After a while, right, like he right. kind of just. 
had a change of heart. Yeah, I just yeah. don't know if I follow along with that kind of improvement in his character mm. from everything that we had seen. Especially that prior. Well, I, I didn't see him as a character who was who was uh, hoodwinking people just to like for the kicks it gave him. He was doing it for a practical reason because he needed he to get out of this. De- yeah. Right, exactly. And so to me, you know, I think. He was motivated, yes, by saving himself, but then eventually when he found the rewards, but I, I, I bought it. I bought it. And, and I, I give Stanfield credit. I think he's a funny guy, but I think he also has a very, um, a, a sort of more grounded presence that when he's doing the dramatic stuff, it played up really well. Like I, I bought everything that he did, whether he was being goofy or he was in that other mode. I just, I just thought of it when he sees Jesus do a supernatural event. Right. Oh well, is that the turning point did for he him? See it? Yeah, the rocks, the rocks that freeze in midair. No, that's um, that's his uh, buddy. That's uh, well, maybe, um, maybe it was related to him then that Jesus is Elijah, right? The real that, deal. That's the, the Clarence's best friend sees it and he goes and reports it to him. So he, I mean, he ends up believing even without having known and seen, or does he? That does he have? I don't know. What Samuel did with The Heart of the Fall is to make a fun Western, but with an all-black cast. Yeah. Okay. And, and we could say then there were certainly black people in the Old West. So, I mean, this is a thing that we can yeah. understand. He's doing that here. Clearly, like the, the inclusion of the current black experience in those times is part of what he's going for here. The stop and frisk, you know, is the best example, you know, yeah. you already mentioned of that. Those Two or three or four things do not, in my opinion, mix together for yeah. a film I really enjoyed. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't suggest you see it in the theater, but certainly when it gets on streaming, go ahead and, huh. and, and do it. But ultimately, I left saying the point is missed on me. Huh. The point here is missed on me because with this kind of content and clear direction of what he was inspired to do mm-hmm. the point was missed on me interesting um i thought benedict cumberbatch and the gag they do of the artist confusing yeah. him for what will become white american jesus was pretty brilliant yeah there weren't a lot of flashes of brilliance other than those for the religious themes that he's going for in Inter- my opinion interesting and i forgot that even uh, james mcavoy was in there mm-hmm. yes i, I can't even right. remember he was great as punch pilot, pilot yeah. yeah i didn't get a lot of insight growing up on Christianity and a lot of that, but I still kind of you didn't go to away. church when you were a kid. I was forced to go to church, but I didn't listen. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the movie was still educational, I mean, in some kind of way. Like mm-hmm. I was still kind of following along mm-hmm. of like him trying to do right, him trying to you know be better, um, yeah. but also still getting treated wrongly, you know. And then that's why like him giving up the money was pretty much like the change of heart. Hey, I should do the right thing, even though it, it's going to cost me my life. And he even says he goes um, one life sacrificed. And I get to save what, like thirteen, right. or mm-hmm. yeah, um, and and, he, and he's not going to give up Jesus. I mean, I, I I hear where you're coming from, Joe. I listen. I don't think this is as strong of a film as The Harder They Fall. I think that was a much more satisfying overall film than I this would say film. generally cohesive. Yes, I mean it would, which is I, my criticism. But I I think you're right. I think part of it with this one is that there is a lot of shifting of tone that's going on, but I like what he's trying to do. I think there is commentary on religion there that I come out mostly feeling positive about. And I'm not a super, I'm not a religious guy. I was, I was raised uh, religious, but Mm -hmm. you know, kind of left the church myself. And it's so it's something that I think walks a line that I think it does pretty well. Cause 
you know, the whole thing is Clarence is a doubter. You know, he's a he's a skeptic. Yeah. He thinks this is all fake. And like you say, he goes, how does Jesus do his tricks? How does he walk on water? Exactly. But then later, well, that's the moment the where way he, Chris Angel that's does. the moment where he experiences it, right? Where he does walk on water, right? When well, he let's walks talk about on that. water, a miracle happens to Clarence. That is where he finally is. Pr- it's proven to him and those who see it, although they don't know how to interpret it necessarily, that there's been divine intervention, that, that God or some other supernatural entity has done something that nobody can fathom based on what they understand of how the world works. But I don't understand the point of that. Um, it gets him out of, for a minute, uh, being crucified. Sort of. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it kind of gets him into holding there. But uh, Well, actually, I guess it demonstrates the hypocrisy of Pilate, who said, if you can walk on water, believing he never could. Well, that's it, you right? He's free. saying, like, well, we're going to put you to death because you're saying you're a messiah, but you're not a messiah. And yet now you've just proven to us, you've, you've like, produced this miracle right here to me. And I've said that would prove to me that I'm you're uh-huh. the messiah. And yet I'm still not. I guess because he's following orders? Yeah, or because he just wants to persecute all of these people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he just thinks they're all charlatans or whatever, and he's going to take them down. But that the movie didn't deliver all those answers to me, I think, is where it ultimately yeah. disappoints me. Well, they were both trying to prove each other right in that moment. Like, yeah. he was trying to prove to him... Um, Lakeith, he was trying to prove to Lakeith, hey, this this stuff isn't real, you know, and he was actually trying to prove to him, like, hey, no, this is something, and he proves him right by stepping on the water, and even then, he doesn't want to believe No, I don't think he was trying to prove that me being a messiah means that I'm capable of anything supernatural, because he didn't think, he thought he was going to dive right into that pool of water presented. That is true, I mean, he was as surprised as anybody else that a miracle occurred, but after that miracle, anyway. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear your, your... Coming away feeling that I do think it's a little more jagged than The Heart of They Fall, but I think it's a really fun. And there aren't many of these films, right? I mean, we're, we're, there, there's a handful of these kind of uh, films that take on biblical stories. I like it. I like people kind of poking at religion and kind of the people's faith and the misinterpretations built into, oh, yes, maybe there's some truth to this, but it gets combined with this other character and really, okay, yeah, Jesus was actually this guy and not that guy. That I like that. That was enough for me where I came away feeling like, okay, that was fun. That shed a little bit of light or at least gave me that like kind of reminder that these are huge stories that many, many people sort of derive their, you know, belief systems from mm-hmm. and are foundational in our society. And so it's it's worthwhile to look at what are they actually saying and what are they doing. And and I think, you know, what it comes down to is Clarence just being a decent person, right? And helping others, being kind and generous of spirit was what put him on a path to enlightenment, right? And and, and kind of getting and opium. Over, yeah, and opium. Ooh. Opium got him there too. So yeah, and and smoking weed is kind of just what do they call it? I love it that it's devil's weed or like um, uh, the gods yeah. bad plan. It was something. funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also he stole honey wine, right, from the Romans. The Romans is that what yeah. they said? Yeah. So which, likes his honey wine, which is mead, right? I mean, that, probably. Yeah. yeah, it's the middle act, the when he's becoming the Messiah by doing parlor tricks, and I, I was completely bought into it when he frees the Barabbas from the col- yeah. from the mm-hmm. Colosseum trainees. I, I enjoyed a big chunk of this. It just didn't tie together really at all for me, and didn't ultimately have a larger point that I think that Samuel here is trying to make. Because, I mean, clearly he is yeah, not mean, angry at the Bible story or no, Christ. Or, I think he's just trying to be a little bit informative. I think know? I think he's more angry at, like, literalists, people who are, like, so chained to, like, 
this is how it was. And it's like, no, humans misinterpret this stuff. And like, yes, there was probably some divine. I mean, there probably is this divine element to what went on in these times and the stories we tell about it. But did we get it exactly right? And is it even the guy who we're portraying who was the one who was leading this thing or, you know. That's what I like. That that's what I come away with. That that I feel like he's not saying faith is foolish. He's just saying faith to the extent of thinking everything that's written down in that book is absolutely you know gospel. <laughs> you know that that's foolhardy. And it was just a fun twist on the whole story of it all. Yeah, you know, and that's what I like that it wasn't just a comedic movie. It wasn't just a serious movie. It was kind of just sprinkled in comedy just to kind of keep you uh, yeah. interested. Yeah, you know? I guess I would have liked him to commit to one or the other. Yeah. yeah. And if he had committed too strongly to the pro kind of religious thing, it would have maybe turned me off a little more. I don't, I don't know exactly how to feel with this one, but when it is available on streaming, I will definitely watch it again. See, in the beginning was was turning me off, but the little sprinkles of comedy was keeping me in mm-hmm. and keeping me in and keeping me in. I was like, all right, I think I like this. And I was getting nestled in. It was good. So it sounds like a nice mix. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I'm a little more positive on it than you are. I Like I said, it's, it's not as great a film as The Harder They Fall, but I think a fun film and one that uh, there's enough there to warrant seeing. And as far as what's out right now, I think it's it's kind of towards the top of what I'd say people should be trying to check out. I think it's definitely a hidden gem. Uh, it's not it's not the best of the year, but I mean, it, it's uh, interesting. And I think you could show it to anybody and they'll enjoy it. They'll relate to it. They'll laugh. Yeah. I mean, you know, smoking opium and then floating around. It was fun. fun. It's funny. <laughs> it was a fun it's movie. Funny. I mean, it was fun. But even more exciting than that is another ingenious, David, as as <sighs> well, it's you, going you to become we're not, more We're and more... supposed to not gush about this. No, so. but it's exciting to say, you know, with so few available in the world to enjoy that we are enjoying one is a treat, even if uh, you hated it. <laughs> I'm I, I feel like you're forcing me to hate it. Ah, that, it's no, so I, good. Joe, it's so this is good. really a great IPA. I mean, it's it, two against one. This is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Great beers consistently from this brewery over time. And so I wouldn't expect anything less. It's a reminder of how well they do all the different styles that they, they dip their toes into. Well, now I have to raid uh, what other in- indigenous spears you have. <laughs> ingenious. Oh, There's ingenious. A, it's all right. <laughs> There's a few uh, in the cellar, uh, which is my closet. <laughs> but we're going to pull those out at a later time. You know, y'all gave me hell for so long for saying for a season many years ago, that an El Chingon with that really (laughs) heavily bitter edge to it. This is not that. There's bitterness here, of course. But they are really banking on the fruits that they get, the the tropical notes that they've created with this hop blend. That's what puts this over the top. There's not like a a harsh after taste to it. Like most IPAs, it's very smooth. Even if you didn't tell me it was an IPA, I I wouldn't have thought. Seems a little blondy. Seems... Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly it doesn't have that bitter punch at the end that you think of with IPA. So I totally get why you're saying that. I mean, it is it is a very smooth, easy to drink beer and six and a half percent. That's I I could drink a few of these and not know. I'd forget. I I could drink a few of these and then you know get an Uber home and then drink a few more. Yeah. (laughs) I think we're just getting started. Yeah. Uh, Well, Riley's saying he's I'm guessing you don't have a huge Monty Python background. No, just one movie. And I have a larger one than I even care to. <laughs> wow. You're, you're going to play it down? Yeah. We'll have talk- we done Python? We haven't Never done have. Python before. Oh, wow. It's a big day.
And we're back. We're doing our first Monty Python film, that's, that's which is insane. Of approaching 600 films. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk maybe as we get into that about our respective uh, experiences with Monty Python prior to this, because it seems like there's a, there's a range. But before we get there, let's get some beer in our glasses. We have a beer that's come to us from our good friend. Is it, was this a Daniel? Yeah. Or, yeah. Daniel Benavides, I mean, this guy is really just like... Well, we spent some time with Daniel yesterday. We I did. know we're talking about that in After Hours. We even got a photograph of him, David, yeah. which at this point is the closest he's ever going to be to have Benning on the well, show. He did, we he, we kind of got him to agree that he would at least come to like open yeah. beers and pour them for us that would be good. For, for an episode, wh- whether or not he actually spoke. We're going to trick him ultimately to getting him onto the, the yeah. program, but uh, we'll talk about that in After Hours. Yeah, well, well so, but for our purposes here today, uh, he gave us a 16-ounce can of a beer that uh, is a collaboration from breweries that we've had before, one at least uh, once, and then the other maybe This will be our times. sixth visit sixth to Paris. Pa- wow. So they're already five-timers. Well, this is Tripping Animals collaborating with Parrish, and this is a beer they're calling Animals in the Machine, which is a riff on Parrish has a Ghost in the Machine right. beer that is kind of a flagship beer for mm-hmm. them. And so in this collaboration with you know Tripping Animals, Animals in the Machine, from what I can see, this is- We've going- done Parrish five times prior, but not Ghost in the Machine. Ooh. That makes no sense. That's, we, well, you know, that that's an oversight. We'll have to get to that. Oh, we will correct it. It's easy to miss the it obvious. It will be corrected. <laughs> but here what we have is a double hazy IPA. It is 8%. Nice. So that that, that should get us going uh, a little up from our 6.5%. I'm going to get this cracked. I'm going to get some poured, and we can all uh, get in there and enjoy some of this beer. It's pouring hazy. Yes, it is. Wow, two hazy. When was the last time we did two hazy IPAs on the show, Joe? One, one after the other. It's been a uh, that's going to take me twenty minutes of research. So we'll, we'll tell, I'll have that for you by after hours. I promise. <laughs> uh, before we get there, are you the nose? Are you getting tropical notes? Are you getting citrus? What What is it? I'm getting a lot of what I smelled the first half. To be honest with you, this is, smells really nice. A little more citrus, though, definitely. More citrus. Okay. You could smell the the percentage though. Eight percent. You can you can tell it's a little boozier on the nose. All right, it's the best job in the world we've got. We have the best job in the world. Ooh, that's harsh. Oh man, Riley, Riley, Riley. I like it though. I like it. No, no, that's all right. That's a way we don't know how Joe feels. We don't know how. Spoilers, spoilers. All right. Can you believe, David? We have never done a Monty Python. I can just because it's like, what do you? What brings that up? They're so unique that what they do is so singular. Um, at least in the film realm. I mean, I know there's other sketch comedy teams that, that sort of the kids in the hall and these other, uh, troops that have existed over the years and had programs on television. But then to go on and make feature films that were relatively successful, well, I say relatively, Holy Grail has become certainly a cult classic. Oh, yeah. And I think also the film that we're doing today is i would put in that realm of cult classics the life of brian yeah they've got five feature films two of those are either a stage production that's live at the hollywood bowl yeah and then their very first film was called and now for something completely different which was kind of a hodgepodge of of the sketches redone on film from the flying circus program 
When I was in high school, MTV at 10 p.m. played Monty Python's Flying Circus every day, okay. every night, okay. uh, followed by the young ones. Yeah. And I had a, vi- a couple of VHSs that were Monty Python's Flying Circus, and I collected every single episode, save for one that MTV didn't play for reasons unknown. <laughs> and I had a videotape of the young ones. Did you ever do the young ones? I think a little bit later, I think it was maybe on Comedy Central for okay. a little while. But yes, I remember, no, it was on MTV before then. Yeah, they were super popular on the other side of the pond. PBS yeah. presence, as you suggested earlier. But it was Monty Python and the Holy Grail, 1975, that really brought their to American audience. Yeah. And then this would be a four-year later follow-up, 1979, The Life of Brian. Supposedly, Eric Idle at a press conference said, our next film is going to be called Jesus Christ, Lust for Glory. He was just making kind of <laughs> yeah, an offhand yeah, yeah joke but then the the pythons the guys are like, took that yeah. and said no that's a great idea and their intent was to lampoon new testament era films that you know have done such Ten-Hurt, great yeah. box office in days past in years past in this brian is a baby that is born in the manger over from <laughs> jesus the right. three wise men accidentally come visit brian when they till they realize that they've come to visit the wrong child and then fast forward to him being older and now uh, he is, uh, this, the film, like Holy Grail, is a series of sketches held yeah. together by a very loose kind of overall narrative. Right. Very similar. And I would say uh, the meaning of life as well. It's yeah. kind of the same thing. The meaning of life presented chapters, birth, yeah. know, uh, sex, yeah. Uh, yeah. marriage, death. Brian, now older, he's um, Graham Chapman, it plays Brian, a mob happy to accept a next messiah figure accepts him because he says a few nice things in the town square then they begin following him he left us his shoe he left us his gourd you know (laughs) and until finally just like the book of clarence the pilot character here is round begins rounding up messiahs and killing them and he is a messiah so therefore ending in the crucifixion scene uh, famously done with always look on the <laughs> bright side of life it's one of python's biggest songs and best bits yeah maybe. and it, what you get here is the manic energy of the constant turnover like you said joe it's like a series of sketches and each one it kind of resets and and you see the players kind of like reconfigure play different be characters, different characters yeah. in in each scene it, although they recur and all that yeah right and some some callback jokes you know yeah. throughout the film and you know i mean this film i think before we get into the guts of it was noted most for first and foremost in my favorite part of religious people getting upset about movies <laughs> making the movie more people wanting to see it more well that's because of the outrage this film was um banned or given an wow. X, the, the equivalent in the UK of an X rating in like 38 of the smaller areas that make up the, the UK. Some countries, including Ireland and Norway, banned it. And a few of those, the, like Italy, the bans lasted for decades. I remember watching this four or five years ago after going down a YouTube rabbit hole of the television programs that happened in the UK when this film came out of a couple of the Python guys debating on the news some of the you know catholic and religious characters of at the time 
And the idea that after you see a movie like this, and Book of Clarence, by the way, I don't think we mentioned, is getting some of the same heat. It's just well, not, not taking ton, off as much. I hear what you're saying. Some it's, of the figures think, that make money by saying, ban this thing, are saying to but ban it's, this But thing. it's interesting, the contrast, that I do think what I guess now we're talking about almost 50 years ago, but you know, 45 years ago, when... Um, when Life of Brian came out, I think that was a much hotter, hot button kind of, of thing. Course. Like now, it's fairly accepted. Okay, this film has the right to exist. You you can go out there and say like, if you're a Christian, don't go see it. But and the fractured media that's occurred since 1979 and now yeah. means that those that want to get an outrage have to work a lot harder because there's segments of the media on social media that aren't going to even hear or that's care right. what you're talking about. But well, Monty, also, Monty Python, Life of Brian. Well, also the frustration was on religion then, and mm-hmm. now it seems like the one thing that I did see is that people were upset at Benedict Cumberbatch doing a blackface oh oh with he the, just, when he, he was just the, dirty when he had the dirt yeah but he was just dirty yeah i guess i is didn't that take real? that as blackface yeah. i took yeah. that as like as grease and dirt and yeah yeah it was but, filthy, but i hear uh, complain about beggar huh that's interesting i hadn't heard i mean there's always going to be a little bit of pushback but but i do think that uh you know life of brian had a much steeper hill to climb and it's time. And again, my point being that that kind of controversy just makes people want to go see it. The Exorcist, I mean, we could name films yeah. that through time oh, yeah, got yeah, a yeah, higher yeah. box no. office because of the outrage against them. So I'm curious, Riley, because so, Joe, you said that you, oh, I was you know, a very had this large kind fan. of you, you became a large fan early on in your life, seeing them on MTV, these reruns. Can uh, I be clear, though, that yeah. in high school, when I was very consumed by the Pythons, uh, me and my buddies didn't sit in the corner and, like, just do the Knights Who okay. Say Me over and over. Like, that wasn't our jam, exactly. I appreciated the <laughs> subtle British humor and not so subtle British humor of the Pythons <laughs> that was different than what I was seeing in America. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was blowing my mind when I first saw it, one, I was on Mushrooms. Uh, okay. <laughs> two, theme here. literally the, the opening scene of the Coconuts. Oh, oh holy what? grail yeah, yeah, yeah. of the coconuts was like, how have I not seen this? Right. You know, and how, how have I not been in this lane of humor? Yeah. You know, and, and knights who say knee and tis but a flesh wound. And she turned me into a newt and those classic sketches from that movie. I bet you'd heard words of sure. Like sure. that was your way of the saying swallow as well. Yeah. The, okay. The, now here it all is in front of me. I didn't realize it was yeah. all coming from one source. Well, and that's kind of the same thing with, um, the life of Brian, there was a couple of scenes that I was like, I feel like I've heard of this or I've yeah. seen this or, mm-hmm. and there were so many scenes that I was like blown away. The one that got me was uh, him falling out of the tower and then landing in the ship. Yeah. I was like, yeah, where is this oh, coming wow. from? I forgot about that until yeah. I watched it again. I forgot that they even included that. When I was so invested and then it got to that part and I was like, it's still another half of the movie. Yeah. I like, imagine the mushrooms made that scene especially amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was wild. Very wild. Yeah. yeah the, the alien part is, uh, is fantastic. I, I mean, there's so many little moments. Again, it has this kind of manic energy to it where it's constantly changing over. You're constantly, it's hard to get bored with it. And they get a little randy with it at times. I mean, he, the, the, uh, um, his night with, uh, what's who's Juliet? The woman? Uh, is it Juliet? Oh, look. Yeah. You know, that that's actually kind of uh, surprisingly um, well done, kind of like that seriously done. It, it doesn't feel thrown away and trashy. The it doesn't mor- feel the like a morning after is funny, but it doesn't feel like an inclusion of nudity for like nudity's right, sake. Although right. the joke when he opens the door yes, is fully that's nude. hilarious. Yeah. 1979, that would have been kind of shocking. It got an X, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and in, in, in some areas or banned. What was getting me uh, excited was whenever the all the Romans were trying to raid the house. 
Yeah. They're all trying to raid the house mm-hmm. and they all, all had to go hide. Yeah. And, and they're not hiding. They they're show, hiding in plain sight. Well, they're hiding in plain sight, but they didn't. Sh- they just see uh, show everybody stampeding in there mm-hmm. and then they all come back out. Mm-hmm. And then you expect them to have people and then they're like, no, it's clear. Yeah. Then they come back like two minutes later and same thing. <laughs> His love interest is Judith. Judith. There yeah. you go. Thank you. To me, it's like, how do the sketches stand up? Mm-hmm. How do they hold up? And then how do they stand up next to, uh, to me, a superior work, which is Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's because the spontaneity of the Holy Grail, the Pythons breaking into film and turning basically their show into 90 minutes of sketches with, like I said, a loosely, you know, a narrative that can piece them all together. The skeleton that we're going to hang them on, the Christmas tree we're going to hang these mm-hmm. ornaments on. I don't think it's done as well in Brian, and I don't think it holds up as well as Holy Grail because I watched it in prep. Yeah. And the Holy Grail was hold up. It really <laughs> does still. And, you know, and of course you want to quote along with. I think that they miss. I mean, there's plenty of satire in the film. There, there is. Yeah. But it seems to me that they f- they focus on, like, Jesus makes a cameo giving the Sermon at the Mount, and then the joke becomes in the back row how you can't hear Jesus. Yes. There is no microphone. Yeah. So, you know, do you say blessed are the cheesemakers? Why do- <laughs> I think he means any dairy product. Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's just saying meek. They're saying meek. Oh, fuck the meek, you know? I mean, that's stupid. But, I mean, so there's some satire about the Christ story, but what is blasphemous about this movie outside of some R-rated material that would have been in any other movie in 1979? Absolutely nothing. I don't understand it. That's poking fun at their religion. Yeah, I think it's, I suppose. The, it's the potential trivializing. I mean, it, I think, again, for people who I think take... Religion isn't funny. Who, who, who take this stuff so seriously. I mean, Have you like, seen the Righteous Gemstones? Not, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong to di- like believe what you want to believe is what I truly believe. Yeah. <laughs> to a, to live and But that said, if you get so locked in that any sort of variation from that one way of telling the story, it's upsetting to you. I think that's a problem. You got to understand. And like, I think satire, parody, I think those are important things. Like, I think everything needs to be satirized. Everything needs to be parodied because you need to see like it's a construction. It's like it's a it's a fake thing that we're putting together. We're telling this. I don't care what what you believe in your religion. Us telling stories is always fake and put together. We're making choices. And I guess the, the difference is people who are deeply religious feel that like God is guiding the thing that's, that's doing it. But, you know, it's I think it's important to think of it as a construction. Well, I was just happy that the fact that it was still a religious movie, it was funny. They're very entertaining movies. And I was still invested in the religious aspect of it all. Yeah. You know, yeah. even though I'm not religious at all. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I liked especially the satire of once he has begun being followed, he hands a gourd to a guy. Yeah. And then he loses his shoe. And then the crowd, he left us his shoe. Therefore, let us begin interpreting what the absence of his shoe means. And there are fights within the group. No, it should be about the gourd, not the shoe. That is some... I think brilliant satire of the interpretation oh, yeah. that, that's, of the that's scriptures. what different denominations with different like split you know Christianities mm-hmm. it's like no the most important thing is that you know he's truly this tripartite being that mm-hmm. you know like it's God the Father the Holy and okay. if you don't believe that yeah I hate you right wait, wait a second 
<laughs> well, hold on, because Jesus said some yeah. things about not hating other people too. Okay, right. we'll forget that. Well, and he got the gourd for free. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't even. That was hilarious. He got it thrown in there. <laughs> the haggling bit was real funny. I mean, there's funny bits. There That's is. like the, these guys. Okay, I, I will. Do, who's your favorite Python? I, I know. I know. Riley's kind John of new Cleese. to it. Is he your favorite? Yeah, I think so too. You know, for me, it's Michael Palin, kind of. I, I he's just, the most like versatile. I think he's just he's got this, and he does those like the stuttering bits. Mm-hmm. He does the. Fish the, called Wanda, please. Was he also yeah. playing the mom? No, that's Terry no, that, Jones. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. I was, I was the director, who's, who's also very funny. From the beginning, I was like, yeah, that's not a woman. You yeah, know, you could see yeah. his mustache. Oh, uh, welcome and, to Monty Python. Yeah, and from the beginning, they all, they played women like you white in an old theater troupe. Yeah. Well, and then after a while, I was like, oh, he's playing this character and this character, and and then it was all of them doing multiple right, characters, yeah. which was cool. Right. John yeah. Cleese as the Roman. The, the main Roman guy main that Roman pops guy. up again and again, the leader of, the, I can't even remember the name of the correct the name. The People's Front, front of Judea. Judea instead yeah, of the PFJ, Judeans. Fuck the Judeans People Front. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much in there. Yeah. It's great. And I mean, we could do 30 more minutes of just let's quote the movie to one another because yeah. there's so much in yeah, there. Yeah. No, they, I mean, I think, and Python fans, as you said, you, you were careful to mark yourself as, I'm not one of those Python fans who insufferably repeats the, right. the lines and the, I get it though. It's an easy thing to to slip into. I've I've never really been that type of, of fan either. But I understand how it can work because they're very funny little bits, quirky, absurdist humor, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is just they're they're going to throw some of the 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 cheesiest and silliest stuff in there, along with some heady stuff. I mean, they always. They're being serious about some of these themes that the, you know, the, the, the writing of a great Python sketch yeah. and the sketches within this film are detailed lessons in the use of vocabulary often, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. I mean, I imagine they have thesauruses. So when they yeah. do a sketch like the dead parrot and they need 50 ways to say dead bird, yeah, they come up with them. But it's also the cleverness of the delivery and how each of the six of them, Terry Gilliam, of course, Another actor whose films we have never done. That seems like... We've never done a Terry Gilliam film. Not. That, have you seen any Terry Gilliam? Do you know um, so. 12 Ta- Monkeys? Time Bandits. Nope. Nope. Okay. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yeah, I feel like 12 Monkeys is the one that got mm, the Most people got, yeah, sort of got access to. They start writing yeah. these down. He's gone... Brazil is brilliant. Love he's it. He's gone on to do some amazing films himself. And I need to, at some point, check in. We we should definitely do a Terry Gilliam episode at some point, yeah. But him being the one that give, is given the less lines. He's the American of the yeah. six of them is one American. He does all the animation. The mm-hmm. animation series at the beginning, the L- opening love credits. Love the opening. Brian, you know. Oh, yeah. that was great. Yeah, yeah that's, that's their signature that nice. look from going back all the way to the flying circle. And this oh, is 69, right? 79. 79, 79. Yeah. wow. wow. The, the send-up of the Bond kind of theme mm-hmm. song, lo- love that. that. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was, um, it's a lovely, fun movie. It's on Netflix. You can watch it now if you're subscribed, and that wouldn't be the worst 90 minutes you ever spent yeah. in it, ever. To me, seeing this back-to-back with Clarence, I thought it was a pretty fun double feature. I, I think folks could do that at some point. Whenever Clarence is streaming, it could be a fun thing to do at home for yourself to watch those back to back. I think people would see a lot of connections. Oh, you can see the life of Brian influences all throughout 
the book of Clarence. Yeah. I mean, from- with, with Clarence putting some unique spin on sure. certain things and being less tied to the manic sketch structure than Python is. Yeah. What would you recommend first, though? Clarence or Life of Brian? If you haven't seen either of those, Life of Brian is more important for your overall film encyclopedia. See, and I went the other way. See, Life of you think so? Well, I, well no, I just went the other way. I saw Clarence first. Oh, no. And then okay. I saw yeah, me too. Brian. Life of Brian's my third favorite of their, you know, the, of the yeah. three films that I consider kind of like the three newer films for what they're doing. I would put Meaning of Life ahead of this one by an inch. Oh, wow. Huh. And really? then, okay. you know, Holy Grail by a mile. Wow. Number wow. one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have quite, quite as much of a, I, I do think I probably put Holy Grail ahead of this, but not by a whole lot. And I think Meaning of Life is maybe behind it, but That's I haven't rewatched that one in a while. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's them beginning to not show their age, but show their time that they had spent together as a troop and watching, as I understand it, from the history of it, the group fracturing while they're making this film. They, yeah. They, they had some uh, rocky times. Well, I was, I was thinking about talking about how ahead of its time it seemed about them saying, I want to be a woman. You know what? You're right. Because uh, even watching I was that through off. these eyes talking yeah. about, you know, I want to be a woman and you can't do that certainly in Judean times. Yeah. Yeah. And you could see how passionate he was about yeah. him actually. It wasn't a joke. That was you ahead can, of his time. Yeah. And you could tell. And he looked a little feminine as well. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that was his character, but. I feel like of them, uh, the ones who actually come across as more feminine are probably idle and maybe to a certain extent. Uh, Jones. Yeah. No, oh, Jones Chapman. is yeah. always kind of grating and, rah, 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 you know, yeah. he's got that really screechy mm-hmm. voice. And it is funny, though, like that, because I think Idol kind of comes across as more. It holds up. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's, what, 40 years old, 40 mm-hmm. year old movie, it's, it holds up. It I'd does. rather watch that than Clarence, honestly. <laughs> but. Well, I mean, I think if I'm if I'm going to say which is the better film, which is the one that you need to prioritize seeing, I would say Life of Brian. If you're watching them as a double feature and you're committed to watching both, I'd probably still say watch Life of Brian first, if only chronologically. Like, you can see this film that was made. And was clearly a inspiration for the second. Yeah, that, that at the very least mm-hmm. it did a similar thing, yeah. Have you seen A Fish Called Wanda? I have not. Okay, because after Python officially breaks up, mm-hmm. they all go their separate ways. Oh, wow. Eric Idle uh, makes a movie called Nuns on the Run. <laughs> with uh, <laughs> Robbie Coltrane. And then uh, John Cleese has several films, but one of the best is A Fish Called Wanda. Kevin Klein, I think, won the Academy he, he Award. He had a for series called actor. Faulty Towers. Yeah, too. I did not get into that. No, I didn't. But it was big. It, it was uh-huh. it was a big series in the UK, and it actually did pretty well over here on PBS, uh, being broadcast much like the Flying Circus stuff had. So, so that was some of his big stuff. But you're right. I think on film, A Fish Called Wanda is probably as big as it got for him. See, and my earliest with John Cleese was um, Rat Race. Oh, and right, that's like 2001. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, he's in that. Just forget how much older I am than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You didn't see Rat Race. I don't think I did. Yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, it was I'm, your introduction to John Cleese. I would suggest uh, of all of them, it definitely a uh, fish called Wanda would be next for yeah. a shot. Yeah. Okay. Well, are we going to have even more of the uh, tripping animals? Because this is only our second time to visit them, David. How are you I feeling? Hope so I mean, I I feel like uh, the the first visit was was a good one. Now I I remember uh, Riley's comment at the beginning. I do think this one has more of a bitter chalkiness yeah. to it. It doesn't bother me. I like that it's a little drier uh, because I was worried it was going to be too sweet based on what I was smelling on the nose. But I guess comparing the two, 
I think I'm a Splat fan. I would I would be drinking more of the Splat if I had the opportunity. This one at eight percent, it is a little bit taxing. Mm-hmm. I think it would take me a while to drink a sixteen ounce can. I'm glad that I only have like a probably six seven yeah. ounce pour. But you know beyond beyond that, I'm you know it's good but not great. Well, the alcoholic in me always leans towards the higher percentage IPAs. I look for that too when I go to the beer bar. Usually they're the better the better IPA, but honestly, I feel like that 6%, the one before, was very good. Very mm-hmm. smooth. It is dry. It is a little more bitter, but it's still pretty good. See, none of those words are words that I'm going to use as negatives on this beer. If this beer is available on tap somewhere, I'm probably going to try it again, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. And I hate comparing the two that we do in an episode yeah. because that's not fair in the that's sense true. that they didn't make them next to one another or to compare with one other thing. But there's a thud there in this one that I can't ignore. It's a, it's a thud on the tongue that is, I guess... The malt bill that creates that higher ABV. Well, there are definitely bad IPAs, and these two are not bad mm. at all. Mm. These are great. Well said. Well, the best thing about beer in a movie mm. is... <laughs> that was color. I know. Sorry. I know. Sorry. Sorry. I knew as soon as you did it, but I thought you were looking at your uh, the yeah. recording and it didn't no. stop or no, something. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, we got to start over from the beginning. Mm. <laughs> I didn't hit record. <laughs> The best thing about beer in a movie mm. is that the... Co- <laughs> wow. Sorry, man. All right. What is the best thing? <laughs> the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end here. Mm. Find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, all those platforms. You can go to our website, beerinamoviepodcast.com, for some nice curated lists of our episodes, as well as the link to our Tee Public store, where you can find various forms of merch. And you can join our chat on Discord. If you just ask us for an invite, we call ourselves Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. We've also mentioned that we will extend this conversation ourselves in our Patreon subscriber-only After Hours bonus episode. Please sign up at patreon.com slash podcast. Also, we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. So before you leave, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do, do what it, it do. do and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another biblically satirical episode mm-hmm. of beer in a movie until next time all right but apart from the sanitation medicine education wine public water irrigation roads the freshwater system and public health what have the romans ever done for us mm-hmm.